There are certain words we seem to use only when we're in church. Quite often they refer to items we use in worship. We have cinctures, cruets, chasubles, copes, cantables, canticles, cassocks, censures, etc., etc. Those are just the ones that start with C. And sometimes they refer to ideas and concepts. Salvation, redemption, sanctification. Those words are often baffling to people who are new to the church, and let's be honest, those of us who are not new to it. When he was presiding bishop of the ELCA, Mark Hansen once suggested that preachers could get around this language barrier by using ordinary language. So instead of using the word gospel, he said, just say what the gospel actually is. As you can imagine, this was reported in some circles as Bishop tells clergy to stop preaching the gospel. So today I want us to think a little bit about one of those churchy words, which is justification. We often say that we're justified by grace through faith. And we probably have some idea what faith is. It's about trust. We have some idea what grace is. It's about a gift. But what does it mean to be justified? Well, one place we use the word justified is when we're lining things up on a page. When you justify something, you bring it into alignment. So if you want to imagine what it means to be justified, it means that God is here, we're over here, and God brings us back into alignment. It's a fine definition. It's a little bit mechanical. You just hit backspace a bunch of times until we're justified. So let me give you another way to think about justification. A justification is an explanation. If you say someone can justify their behavior, you mean there's a reason for it. When we try to justify an opinion we have, we try to gather evidence to show that we are correct. So justification involves proving to other people that we are in the right, that we belong, that we deserve them to take us seriously. Now, we all have to justify ourselves in many and various ways. If you're a high school kid who's applying to college, you have to fill out an application, and you have to justify your request for admission. These are my grades. If you're an employee somewhere and you ask for a raise, you have to justify the increase. This is my value. If you're a parent and you dispense advice, you have to justify your expertise. I used to be your age. This is all perfectly fine in normal parts of life. What's more troubling is a growing sense that many of us have, that we don't just have to justify an application, a promotion, counsel, but that we actually have to justify ourselves. That simply being in the world as the people we are is something we need to justify. If we want people's respect, if we want their recognition, if we want them to acknowledge us, then we better have a good argument to persuade them with. Today's reading from the book of Amos is about that struggle for justification. It's about a group of people who want to justify their place in the world, and they go about it in exactly the wrong way. A little bit of context for you here. So Amos was a prophet. He was actually a farmer by trade who lived in the 8th century B.C., and he lived during a time of immense peace and prosperity. The Israelites are becoming wealthy. They don't have to fight any wars. They have everything they could ever want. 
This, they imagine, is what God always wanted for us. Things are perfect. Amos has a very different take on what's going on. Amos says things are actually very bad right now. Because we have a huge number of wealthy people who are doing great, but they're doing great because they're exploiting their neighbors. So Amos is asking us to think about the economy. Not about GDP or the stock market, but about how we ascribe, store, and trade value with the people around us. So in today's reading, Amos is trying to get into the head of these well-off Israelites. And he does it by describing their thoughts as they honor the Sabbath. You work six days, and then you get a day to rest. And you would think the Israelites would love Sabbath. You don't have to work, you can just relax. But do these Israelites like Sabbath? No. They hate Sabbath. They're counting down the minutes until it's over. They should be resting, but instead they're restless. And what's the problem for them? What's the thing that actually keeps them from resting? It's their sense that they're not enough, that something is missing in their lives. When the Sabbath comes around, they can't stand it, because it means you can't trade, you can't sell, you can't make a profit, you can't get ahead. You have to just be. When will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain, they ask, and the Sabbath so that we may offer wheat for sale? Let's just get the whole thing over with and get back to work. About 3,000 years later, we should ask, what keeps us from resting? What keeps us from a sense of wholeness and peace? At the heart of it is a similar fear that we're really not enough. A sense that we have to justify ourselves, our existence, our lives to other people. That feeling we have to prove ourselves over and over and over again. We have to prove we're good partners. We have to prove we're good friends. We have to prove we're good neighbors, employees, parents, citizens, etc., etc. You could always be doing better, and you could always be doing more. Now, this would be bad enough by itself, the kind of anxiety running in the background of our lives. What makes it worse is the idea that we are a meritocracy and people get what they deserve based on their own talents and abilities. And no matter what we do, there is always someone else who could do it better. And so we have no choice but to wake up every day and try to justify our place in the world, gather enough evidence to prove that we really belong here. There's no time for rest, no time for reflection, and perhaps worst of all, no time for gratitude. If you're not looking ahead, you're falling behind. Earlier this month, The Atlantic published an article by George Packer that was about navigating his kids through New York City's school system. And it recounts the almost comical lengths that Packer and his wife went through to get their kids into a good school. Physically safe, racially diverse, academically rigorous. They wanted their kids to be in the right school from the very beginning so that they would be on the right trajectory for a successful life. And in Packer's mind, his kids are blithely unaware of all the machinations going on behind the scenes. And that changes at dinner one night when his 10-year-old daughter remarks, if you fail seventh grade, you fail middle school. If you fail middle school, you fail high school. If you fail high school, you fail college. 
And if you fail college, well, you fail life. If that's true, if life is just a series of steps that you can't mess up without dire consequences, then every single moment of every day is an opportunity. It can be maximized, it can be monetized. You can rest, but only so you can work better later. Nothing has any value in and of itself. It's just a credential to prove our value, a symbol to communicate something about ourselves. And what's the effect of that constant striving to get ahead, to justify our own place in the world? Well, Amos's primary concern is that it's ruinous to the society. Because once you start grasping to try to get ahead, there's no end to any of it. And so people start cutting corners to get every little advantage they can over other people. Amos imagines these traders sitting at home on Sabbath, thinking, we'll make the ephah great small and the shekel great and practice deceit with false balances. An ephah is just a bushel of wheat. So you make the bushel of wheat a little smaller, you raise the price, you mix in a little bit of chaff, you practice deceit. The ends are what matters, so if the ends justify the means, well, it's not a huge problem. Sometimes that cheating can happen in small ways. In Packer's article, he recounts a preschool tryout, interesting idea by itself, where a hedge fund manager mentions that the safest way to get into a good public school is to game the special needs system. If there's one million kids in the city's schools, who's going to notice if one of them isn't in the right place? And sometimes that cheating happens in big ways. It was 11 years ago that our economy went into recession due in large part to credit default swaps. And what are bundling subprime mortgages but a more modern way of mixing the chaff with the wheat? Who's going to notice? Now it's easy to read Amos and think that all he's doing is chastising people. And to be fair, that's probably like 80% of Amos. But Amos is also giving us something positive here. He's giving us a vision of a different kind of economy. A different way of ascribing value and storing worth. A different way of ordering the world and ordering our lives. Because of the promises of God, the promises God made with Israel and their covenants, the promises God makes with us and our baptisms, you don't have to constantly try to justify your worth to other people. Your value isn't contingent on anything. You never have to prove your dignity. You know you already have it, and there is nothing that anyone else can do to take it away from you. And at the heart of it, that's really what justification is all about. Instead of spending our lives running around, finding evidence that we are good enough, trying to come up with arguments for our place in the world, we can actually be grateful. As St. Augustine once put it, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And in Jesus Christ, our hearts have been taken into the very heart of God. So come, rest, serve, and most of all, live. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.